You know, I think of all the things that, uh, that I appreciate most, most about our faith of Christendom. High on that list has to be the hope that we have. Would you agree? You think about it. The hope that we have as Christians. There is not one thing that you and I can put on any list to say this is a need that I have or even this is a want that I strongly desire that we don't know that our God could provide for us and in fact would provide for us except for the fact that he knows things we don't know and were we to know what he knows, we wouldn't want what we're asking for. That's how much hope that we have on this earth and the life after. There, there are a few things. I can you imagine what is more important to us than hope, and we've got it. We've entitled this series, we're in in the book of Revelation, Everything is Going to Be All Right. I love that title because it says it as it is. Everything is going to be all right. Every one of us have been taken back by the devastation of Japan. As if an earthquake were not enough, then comes a tsunami, and now the nuclear issues. And you think, how bad can a circumstance of life be? And so what's being asked in the world around us? You've heard it, I'm sure. Because of my profession, I probably hear it more than you. How do you explain God in this one? Is God really in charge? Is he in control? Is God really a good God? And these are the same undermining's that cause one to say, "I'm not sure everything's going to be all right." I mean, check out what's happening in spite of God. You know, when it when those comments come my way and I hear those kind of thoughts, I I often can't say what I'm thinking, but I am in some form or fashion thinking this: Oh, you just need to know the rest of the story. You need to know the bigger picture. You need to know the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what you need to know. I think the Christian community has been crippled in their effort to navigate through the circumstances of this life in which we live simply because we don't understand chapters 5 through 8 of Revelation where we're introduced to the seven seals. We don't understand chapters 8 through 11 where it introduces the seven trumpets. If we did, we would see something like an earthquake like this and we'd say, uh, I, I, think I, I think I understand. I, I see what he says. I understand where this, where this plays in the role. It opens up a whole new vista of understanding when we come to understand the book of Revelation. And not just the plan that he's executing, as important as that is, but even more importantly, the Jesus that's revealed in the book of Revelation as we get to know and understand him and his ways. We have been for these many weeks now in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. We're nearing an end. Next week I'll complete the seventh of the seven churches, this week in the sixth one. And I know we have to be saying, well, Randy, I, I hear your title, everything is going to be all right. Week one gave me a glimpse, kind of a hint, but, but chapters two and three have not been going very far in helping us understand why everything is going to be all right. And true, that doesn't happen until we get to chapters four and five. 
Chapter 5 on Easter, by the way. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are. But chapters 2 and 3, as each week, the team is having to set before us as we teach this to say, understand, there's a reason why 2 and 3 has been plopped down where it has before the revelation of the future plans. And that's because it is speaking to all of us to say the seven churches representing all churches in all time and all places, these are the struggles, these are the issues, these are the, these are the, the questions, the doubts that every one of us are experiencing. And the message of Revelation is over and over and over again simply saying this, endure, hang on, be faithful. Don't deny, overcome, all these terms to say, just keep on hanging on. Well, I'll tell you, we all have to do that, but who is going to do that if we think we're going to lose in the outcome? To the degree we understand and embrace the story of Revelation and we see that we are the overcomers, we are the conquerors, we actually win this thing Now we've got motivation to say, let's keep fighting. Let's hang in there. Now, having said that, let me introduce the church this week. It's the church at Philadelphia. And then we'll read the text. The church at Philadelphia was called a gateway city. Now, all of these churches are in what's today Turkey, then known as Asia Minor. This was considered a gateway city, not a very prominent city like some of the others have been. This is a city that because of where it was positioned, it was a, it was a road that was a very important road for commerce and otherwise. And they were landing right there in this main pathway, surrounded by volcanoes and dealing regularly with earthquakes. Interesting, huh? Every day, almost, they were experiencing tremors. It was a a very volatile place to live. In fact, in 17 AD, the city was totally demolished. I mean, absolutely taken down by the worst of earthquakes. Destroyed it. And interesting, of the seven letters, this is one of only two, that there is no admonition saying, I know this and have this against you. Isn't it interesting how often it's those with the least that can be the most faithful? When I was in Korea, we had the pastor of the, of the largest church of the world, Pastor Cho, and he shared the story of Korea. He's just retired, actually. Also, his predecessor was there with us, who is now the pastor. But after 50 years, he's just retired. But he shared the story of Korea. And we all know the story of the faithfulness, the praying, an amazing story of how God has swept into that country in such an amazing way. He said, you want to know why? We're desperate. 50 years ago, we had nothing. Our country was just wrecked. We were without food. We were without everything needed. The church was almost invisible. We were just crying out as Christians, God, please, we have an enemy to the north that's just always there to remind us, God, we've got to have your help. He says, when you're dependent upon God and only have God, that's when God comes close. That was the story of Philadelphia. 
So with that, let's read the teaching that Jesus gives us. He is the spokesperson here. Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 7. You listen along as I read, remembering this is the Word of God. Here's how it begins in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, and they're not, they lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and will make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of my perseverance, the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who hasn't here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Take your seats and let's plow into this. I'm going to divide this, as your outline suggests, into, uh, into two parts, not sequential in the verses. I'm going to pull out from all of the verses, first of all, what I'm going to call the deeds of the Philadelphians. And, uh, and then we'll follow with the words of Jesus. Now, keep in mind, even the description of the deeds of the Philadelphians are the words of Jesus, but I'm referring to the words that he's speaking to us through this church. And so very quickly, we can look at the deeds. It's very simple. We don't want to make it more complex than it is. Three things he says, one and two come out of verse number eight. First, he says, you have kept my word. Number two, you have not denied my name. Here's how it reads, verse eight. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word. There it is. And two, have not denied my name. Fairly straightforward. One thing you wouldn't see upon reading this in the English, there is a tense of the verb that's used in these two that, that will tell us something we wouldn't know otherwise. There's a tense that is the a form of the past tense. It's called the aorist. And this particular tense tells us that something has happened in the past that is now completed, as opposed to something in a different tense of the past that is still ongoing. There has been some event you wonder, is it the response that these people had during the challenging time of the earthquake a few years earlier that destroyed the city? Nobody knows. But something has happened, and they have shown themselves faithful as others have not. Then it says, you have little power. Uh, When it says a little power, I'm afraid it's a little misleading that we think, oh, you've got a little power. No, no, no. It's you have little power, meaning you're small, you don't have resources, 
I mean, you look at the goods of the world, what you're living on. This is a challenged people. Number three is found in verse 10. It says, you have kept the word of my, and as it says, perseverance. It's a challenging word to understand. We'll see in a minute. Verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It really is hard to figure out what is he talking about, the word of my perseverance. Uh, many different ideas. Here's what I would come to, and, and we'll do it briefly it's, it's, because it is so debated why, why I focus too much. His perseverance, Jesus' perseverance, is probably referring to his, his life of perseverance to live for the cross. His perseverance to endure the cross. And the word of his perseverance, meaning the teaching of Jesus throughout his life, about him and from him, was all about his persevering work to go to and remain on the cross for our redemption. Saying those people who focus on my work, Simply, they've been faithful to focus on Christ. Now, let's look at the words of Jesus. It begins in verse 7. And there is a self-description. Have you noticed that every week there is a self-description to begin the text? Jesus gives a little more understanding of himself, and he reflects on the view of who he is in comparison to something being said in the text. Notice what it says in verse 7. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David. And what he's saying here, holy and true, as opposed to the synagogue of Satan, the Jews that we'll look at in a few minutes, who are lying. He says, I am the true one. I am the holy one. And then he says, who holds the the key of David. I truly could teach an hour on this one and obviously have only a minute or two, but, but hear this. Jesus, who holds the key of David, shouldn't it be that David holds the key of Jesus? No. The way it's put is David, who is a type of Christ, held the key of Israel. What is the key? Key means authority. Whoever has the key has the authority. And the authority that David had over Israel is now to be seen as the key, the authority that Jesus has over the church, the new Israel. Very interesting. Now, as he says this, keep in mind that there were a number of prophecies. Isaiah 22, 22. Uh, Luke 1, Gabriel is given the, the introduction of Jesus about to be announced and to come, and the prophecy is made. And in both occasions, they say, and he shall receive the key of David, and he shall reign over his kingdom. Now, keep in mind, this key that Jesus holds is the same word and is the same substance that we're talking about when Jesus in Matthew 16 and 18 talks about the keys. And he says there, he says, and I give to you the keys to the kingdom. He's giving his keys to his people on earth. And that key has not been given to a man who is in Rome. The key is not given to you and me to use the key and authority has. No, 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 no. 
It's given to the apostles who then lay hands on, which is the conveyance of authority, on elders that rule over churches. And he says, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Wow. But the teaching here is Jesus saying, yes, I gave you the key, but ultimately I hold the key. And so they're going to be fallible people holding the keys. They're going to make judgments in very hard situations that others are going to say, I don't agree with that, and they're going to be wrong. Their judgment will be, will be wrong. Though their hearts may be pure in their effort to rule, they're going to make mistakes. And there are going to be some that are going to be wicked people who hold the keys that we're told, you still, if you're in that body, you listen and submit to them because unless they violate Scripture, obviously, but they're going to be people that make mistakes honestly and dishonestly and know this, that I will right every wrong, I ultimately hold the key. John Huss, put to death, one of the great, great mission leaders of, of our of the whole of Christendom and a council, one of the finest councils of a thousand years, rules against him and not, with, with, without understanding, without realizing. And you know good and well, as he enters into heaven, God says, Jesus says, I hold the key. You're okay. You come on in. So he talks about the one who holds the key. Then we come to what I will call the conditions. There is in the text... If, then. If are the conditions, then are the expectations. So we'll frame it like that so you can follow. Let's lift out of the text the ifs, the conditions. There are three. The first is this, hold fast what you have or what you hold. Verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. We'll talk about the crown later. It's hold fast, meaning just be obedient, be faithful. Number two, found in verse 12, the word overcome. It says, he who overcomes. This is the if for the then that's about to follow. He's saying those who overcome, those who overcome through trials. They don't deny God in the midst of hard times. It's people who overcome in that they stand against the temptations of this world and don't buckle and say, I got to because it's, it's just too hard. Overcome those who obey the gospel. And then thirdly, the last verse, verse 13, hear what the Spirit says. Verse 13 reads, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And that hear means to listen and understand with the idea of then utilizing, obeying. Now we come to the very last piece, and that's the expectations. This is the then. If this, then this is what I'll do for you. Folks, it is these five that are going to be described that tell me Christendom is everything. Christ is all we need. If we've got these five things you tell me, when we walk through these, you tell me, is it possible to believe that you have these five things and find your life not a good life? You're going to say, I've got the best life a human could ever have if I really have these five things. And here's what Jesus promises. 
I call these expectations. I know Charles Dickens has claimed the name Great Expectations for his 19th century novel, but I'm going to suggest to you that the one who really has the great expectations are the believers who receive these five. Here they are. Number one, an opportune life. Look at verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and so forth. Opportune. Opportunity. Is that not what life is about? Do you, some of you have read the book, The um, Outliers. Uh, it, it's a story uh, tracking the people who have made it beyond all other people and success, whatever you call it. And what they've done is they've tracked the life of each of those people to show that there has been opportunity, unique, unusual opportunity that's led to the great success you find in that individual. Well, the truth of it is, opportunity is everything to you and me. Everybody says, boy, give me that open door. I just need an opportunity. Oh, if I could just have an opportunity to get that job. If I could just get the opportunity to show my skills. If I could get an opportunity to make the team, they'll see. And, and the idea is, give me opportunity. And what Jesus says here is, I'm going to give you the opportunity of all opportunities. I'm going to put an open door before you. What does that mean? It's an opportunity to carry my gospel to a world in need and watch what happens. Watch with the attending grace that goes with your message, your love, your deeds. Watch you impact people and change them. There are some here that are in business, and, and you love the opportunity to find that deal and to close that deal and how exciting it is. Now I'm in the search. I'm in a hunt for another deal. Or some of you that are hunters. I have a boy who loves to hunt, and we talk about hunting, and non-hunters like me, they go, what is the excitement? The th you know what? There's something about a hunt. I don't know, but it's, it's the hunt. And I'll tell anybody, I don't care what kind of hunt it is, you start walking through open doors and you're going to see a thrill like no thrill when I can come home saying, God used me in somebody's life. Wow. It's a thrill of all thrills. I was taking a walk yesterday, praying through, thinking about the text. And here was a question that came to my mind. I wonder how many people at Perimeter are walking through open doors of opportunity. Versus saying, i got to live my life today, and if I can just survive, and if I'll just take care of me, and I don't, you know. No, no, no. You're missing something beautiful, friend, if you're not walking through the door of opportunity. There's his promise. Number two, a prestigious life, number nine. Behold, I, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and they're not. Now, let me pause there. Uh, this is very similar to one of the other churches we looked at, the same terminology, synagogue of Satan, say they're Jews and they're not. Again, as I said then, we don't know if these are Christians, the word Jewish here just being used as it rightly can be used to talk about the Christian. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, not one who is one outwardly. And, and, and maybe he's using it like that. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's talking about those who've come out of Judaism and claiming to be Christians, but they're really not. It doesn't really matter. It's those who are not really his. They're those that are against 
what the Christian is all about. And look what he says of them. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. When is that taking place? Maybe when they truly become Christians, when they're converted. Probably referring at the coming of Jesus when he comes back. And he says, and make them know I have loved you. I was with a, a buddy of mine from high school, played on my high school basketball team with me, and, and uh, we were together a few years ago. And he says, hey, you remember Matthew Knowles? Yeah, Matthew was two years younger than us, uh, played on our basketball team. And he says, uh, do you know who his daughter is? I said, I have no idea. He said, her name is Beyonce. I said, Matthew is Beyonce's dad? I said, oh, yeah. Now, imagine me not knowing that and me meeting Matthew. I haven't seen Matthew since high school. Imagine me walking up to Matthew and seeing him and say, well, tell me about your life. How's it gone? He said, oh, good. Says, uh, you know, Beyonce's my daughter. And I laugh and I go, yeah, my son's the president of the United States. Congratulations. <laughs> you don't believe me? I said, no, I don't believe you. <laughs> no, I don't believe you. But tell me what's going on. No, no, really, Beyonce is my, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. There is a level of prestige that he might experience and sense, but it's not being recognized. But he has that hope. He knows someone's about to come verify, and Randy's going to find out she is my daughter. That's what's going to happen, except it's not, you know, the father of Beyonce. It's the child of the king. And there's that day coming when he says, your prestige, you know who you are. And they say, yeah, you're a child of the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're loved by God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going to bow and say, you really were special to him, weren't you? God loved you with an everlasting love. Wow. That's prestige right there. So that's number two, a prestigious life. Number three, a protected life. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept my word of my perseverance, the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to those who dwell on the earth. Now, very difficult again to interpret. When is this testing coming and what's it talking about? And there are all different ideas. But this is the important thing to know. What this is saying is not, I am keeping you being exempt from testing. It's saying, I am keeping you in testing. It's the bush that is burning but not consumed. He's not saying, I'm going to keep you from burning. He said, I'm going to let you burn but not be consumed. You're going to live in the world of testing. I'm hoping that you're not buying the very modern Western concept that there's a seven-year period that's going to happen at the very end of time, and we're going to be lifted up out of this years of tribulation, and the rest of the world will go through it, but Christians, we get to miss the hard times. Could that be biblical? Oh, it could, but I hope you don't buy it just because that's what you heard. You study the Word of God and see if you see it in Scripture. I don't see it anywhere. I bet you can't find it. But it's become very popular. And let me tell you, it is very, very Western. You go to uh, Cambodia. You go to Ethiopia. You go to Saudi Arabia. You go to Albania. 
and I could keep listing others. You go to them and you say, Christian, if you can find them, they're hidden underground. Christian, good news. You know what? You don't have to go through the tribulation. They would look at you or me and go, are you kidding me? We're in the tribulation. There's nothing going to be worse than what we're going through now. And they look at us and say, you are so Western. You build your own theology around you, don't you? No, let me tell you, there's tribulation. And tribulation will increase. But we need to understand, we need to be prepared for that tribulation. And his great promise here is not I'm going to take you out of it, but I'm going to protect you during it. Do you know catastrophes like the one we've seen in Japan, they really reveal the heart, do they not? It's been true through the history of mankind. Voltaire said that at the great earthquake that... uh, He he said, you know, the great earthquake that was in Lisbon, he said, half of southern Europe began to lose faith in God because of that earthquake. You know what it does? It reveals the heart was already out of sorts with God. But they didn't know it until something like that shakes, and then all of a sudden they go, oh, it's like Pharaoh's heart. When Moses brings the plagues from God, And Moses' heart, you see what's really there. And so the truth of it is, he says, you're going to go through hard times, but I'm going to protect you during those hard times. Number four, a rewarded life, verse 11. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, the crown probably is referring to the same type way it's used in chapter 2, verse 10, Uh, probably the crown of life. Uh, referring to the glory of heaven that we get, the glory that's given to us as we go to heaven. Now, though we don't know exactly, for sure is it this, is it that, doesn't really matter. He's saying, I've got reward for you. That's a crown. I've got reward for you. Now, Trench, Richard Trench, who's one of the great Greek scholars, he says, what you don't want to miss from this is it's not saying which you have, the crown which you have. It's the crown which you may have. And he's saying, hold on. Don't lose what you got. There's something coming that's worth your hanging on. There's reward to be given. And he says, come quickly. I come quickly. Now, that's a word of comfort, not of warning. It's to say, I know you folks in the midst of say, oh, we're helping. Let me tell you, I can come at any moment. Don't forget Coming quickly can have to do with time. It can have to do with manner. The means that he would come so quickly when we wouldn't even expect it. You know, for years I've been asked, time and time, from time to time, when do you think Jesus is coming back? You know what my answer has been until somewhat recently? I don't know, a couple hundred years maybe? Really, but look at the birth pains. And I say, yeah, have you ever seen a baby being born by your wife? Have you ever seen her go through the, the delivery process? You know, after it starts, it seems like it's about 200 years before it's over, right? <laughs> I mean, it seems forever. And so, okay, we're seeing the beginning of birth pains, no question, but it could be a long, long time. However, I heard something this last week in Korea. One of the pastors made comment quoting a very noted, noted Christian leader 
who as be about my age, maybe a little older. And this is what he quoted him as saying. He said, you know, if, if Jesus came back in my generation, I would not be shocked at all. If he does not come back in my generation, I would expect him to come back in my children's generation. If he does not come back in my children's generation, I would be absolutely, totally surprised if he didn't come back in my grandchildren's generation. You know, I think more like that now, and I think particularly as I'm learning some of the things such as I learned in Korea. I wonder, how quickly will it be? Don't know, but he could come back anytime. That's not a warning. That's a word of comfort. Lastly, an eternally secure life, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is something that's permanent. I looked at several pictures of Philadelphia, and you see the, the, the ruins there of Philadelphia, and all you see are what? Pillars. They still stand. It's the permanency there. And then he goes on to say, and he will not go out from it anymore, meaning you're secure there forever. Once you come into God's house, you never will be an outcast. You're forever there. And then he says, I will write on him. Now, to write on is simply a way of saying uh, to be owned by or to be identified, you would write on. That's, that's the idea, just being owned or identified with. And notice what it says. First, the name of my God. You will be God's. Number two, the name of the city of my God. The city of my God, which he refers to as New Jerusalem. Don't think of it as a, a city that's literally going to fall from heaven. This is the citizenship of, of God's people. We will be put not just with God, but we will be made a people of God, with the people of God, with all the benefits of citizenship in his kingdom. And then he says, and my new name. Jesus is speaking, his own new name. The new name, name re refers to the being, that there's going to be that moment when Christ comes again, that we're going to see him in a new way. We're going to see a revelation of him like we've never seen before. We're going to go, oh, my, I, I expected something that was good, but this is beyond imagination. He's saying, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you eternal security. You know, you take away the first four. You leave me just with this last one, I'm okay. Of all things, don't you want to know that your God's forever? He'll never reject you. Well, there are the five. So easy enough to close out by saying this. Everything we've talked about, these five great benefits, they come because of Jesus Christ, made possible by the work on the cross. It all goes back to Jesus, doesn't it? It's about him, what he's done for us, not what we do for him. It's what he's done for us that causes us to be so motivated to live for him. There got to be some of you that are outside a, a true relationship with Christ, and you, you kind of question whether you really are his. And you must say, I want those five. I want those like nothing else. I want those five. You get it by simply going to the cross. 
surrendering your heart to him and saying, I give my life to you, Lord. I want to be yours. I want to be in your family. And watch him work his work on you that creates the love within you that enables you to bend the knee to follow him. There have got to be some of us here that say, I'm not devoted to Jesus. I'm not walking through doors of opportunity. I'm not there. I don't want to deny the Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to hold on. I want to overcome. And to us, we go to the Spirit of our God and we say, Spirit, you know, you've been given to me for a reason. And I want you to just prevail in my life. Fill me. Empower me. I bend the knee to you now. I'm capable of doing that because Christ is in me. And I bend the knee now. I look to your Spirit to empower me. Don't do it in the flesh. It's his work alone. And then start focusing on these great five benefits. And you see those, and pretty soon you'll be going, hmm, it's a hard life. It's a challenging world. But I think everything is going to be all right as we pray together. Father, we pray that you would allow us to grasp this, to hold on to it, and to be overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving. We're going to say right now, those of us that know you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Even as the doxology ends our time here, it'll be us saying to you, thank you for all of this. And our God, we pray for those that are outside that city who need to be given your name. Would you grant them to Find their way to the cross now or very soon and find their knee bowing, saying, I receive you as Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Thank you, God, for the assurance that everything will be all right. We give you our thanks in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.